It's another Sandman discussion episode, and this time we're talking about Season of Mists. So join us on a trip to hell and beyond. Boom! That was a good boom. Alright, we're recording again. Finally, got to this, this shows how rough of a morning we're having. I mean, yeah. this may have just been my mistake. Both of our mistake, but no one would make a mistake. All right. Well, we have recovered from mistakes, and we can we can move on to something that isn't a mistake, which is reading Sandman. I feel as though we've grown through this, though. Grown through this? Yes. Oh, yes. This is, is people, as individuals. Um, seasons of Mist. That's what Sorry, I'm 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 just again slow this morning. Yeah, we are. We're both dragging this morning. So in, in the lost audio of this, we both uh, mentioned how uh, hard of a time we had getting up to do this podcast this yes. morning. Mm-hmm. But we're up and we're here and I've got a cup of coffee. So I am ready to talk about this arc of Sandman. Sandman, Season of Mists. I was excited to get to this. Although I, I like the Sandman short stories, like the the story arcs are really the the points you look forward to rereading in it. The short stories, it's like I didn't really remember those as well. And it's like they were good, but like the arcs are, man, they're something special. So I was glad to get to the, this is the first arc that we've read that I haven't reread over and over in trying to reread Sandman. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, I feel like this may be one that I have read a lower amount of times compared to some of the others. I feel like my reading tends to be heavy on the ends of the series, the beginning and the ending of the series. And to recap for audiences, I am reading the Absolute Editions of Sandman. And you are reading what edition? It's the uh, the Deluxe Edition. So these are currently in the process of being released, and they're collecting the series... Seems like into five volumes. Yeah, probably about five volumes. I think it's like three trade paperbacks per hardcover. It's, I think, a little bit bigger... It is like the deluxe size, but it's not as big as like the absolute size. So it's kind of a good balance. And then there's more material, but it's also not as fat as the omnibus, which is just like ungainly big to read. So as as all omnibuses are. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yes. So it's I guess we're just going to jump into this one, huh? I mean, jump we've so right far in. we've covered all the previous story arcs. So you can go back through our archives and see our thoughts on Preludes and Nocturnes and a doll's house and dream country, which is the first collection of short stories. And now this is again, like you said, one of the major arcs of Sandman. I think that if someone wanted to just read the like meatiest of the meat of what the series is about in terms of plot, this would be one of those crucial story arcs. Yeah, this one I feel like shifts from the, the first couple of story arcs were a lot more event driven. Things were going on the whole time, you know. This one is a lot more character driven, relationship driven. Like it's all, it spends more time on the nuances. And that's really what this, I mean, this story arc is a lot about relationships between these different beings. So I'm going to admit something now to frame this conversation. This may actually be my least favorite story arc in Sandman, which I think is a bit surprising because I my impression is that this is considered one of the better story arcs by 
fandom in general, that this is looked at as one of the really great Sandman story arcs. Hmm. And maybe I'm uh, a little off on that. Maybe it's not, but that's always kind of been my impression. I have no impressions of what anybody thinks because I don't care. <laughs> so I, I actually have no idea what uh, what the impression. I, I have no idea what Sand Sandman fan man. Uh, I can't talk now. Sandman fandam fandom. fandom. That's Sandman it. Yeah. Fandom. Sand- yeah. Good lord. Yeah. Oh man, I'm coming up with tongue twister. This is a rough morning. Talking, talking is fun. <laughs> Yeah, it, it isn't today. I, I quit. I quit talking. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we should just pantomime the rest of the episode. <laughs> I I don't know anything about what the fandom thinks about anything. I didn't realize that till you just said that. You're the first person I've really thoroughly talked to about Sandman. The mm-hmm. only other person that I've known that I talked about it with, other than like, I mean, on Twitter, it's like, oh yeah, Sandman's great. And there's not. I, I haven't had any more conversation than that. Anything deeper than that. Yeah, the person that I, I uh, gave my first Sandman trade collection to when I was getting ready to move from California to Maine, to reiterate that story, which I've shared before, uh, she had had all the trades and they were stolen. And she loved Sandman. I told her when I got down to like needing to read the last maybe two or three, I said, if you buy these and let me read them, I'll give you all of these. So I gave her like 10 plus trades and she just bought the last few so I was able to read them. But even with that, like, we didn't have, like, conversations about the, you know, deep conversations about the story arcs. We just both really like Sandman. So, yeah, yeah this, this is the first time I've had those conversations, and I've never thought of there being this fandom impression of stuff. And I usually, like, I don't get caught that much up in fandom. Like, you know, Ninja Turtles. I love Ninja Turtles. I don't care what people with fandom things about anything. I just like what I like. And um, But then other things like Valiant, that's where we got to know each other. I was obviously very involved in the fandom. So that was a bunch of rambling to just say I've never really thought about that before. Part of my impression of this comes down to the fact that when I was collecting the first print hardcovers of all these books that were coming out around the time that this series first came out. And this was a time when hardcover collections and trade paperback collections were not common. They were actually extremely rare at the time. But Sandman was printed in a series of hardcover collections. And the Season of Mists hardcover was leather-bound with this embossed key to hell on it that looked really cool. And this particular hardcover for this story arc got this special treatment to it that none of the others did all the rest were just standard trade paperbacks and so that gave me the impression that ooh, this is something really really unique and just also some of the other people i had talked to about sandman in my maybe college era days people would always talk about seasons of season of i always get that wrong season of mists as one of the story arcs they really liked. All right, interesting. For me, I I think a lot of it comes down to this feels like a lot of plot in the sense that this isn't really trying to unravel any emotional situation or relationship situation like so much of the series is. This is the at the core, this story is about unraveling a plot situation, which is that Morpheus is given the key to hell and he has to figure out what to do with it. 
I think that's just an aspect of it. I think it's easy to get caught up on that element, but I think this actually is a lot. We've talked before in the major story arcs about, uh, I guess even in the short stories, about uh, Morpheus's growth and changing and his adapting and trying to understand things differently. And I think that this arc is the realization of some of that, and through it, he gets more growth when he actually like takes on the actions that he's decided are correct. And it also does a lot to show his relationship to other powerful beings. And, you know, when he's going to hell, he knows that he's very vulnerable and he's ready for it to be a huge fight and he's ready to lose Mm -hmm. if need be. That doesn't happen. And then when, uh, when it's in dream and we get to kind of the end of the, of the story arc and he does have a showdown, He's never not in control because it's in his realm. But when you look at all the different beings that come to to dream in regards to trying to take control of hell, you see a lot of how his relationship works with these other beings. And there's like a lot of respect and reverence, but there's also a lot of rules. And it's like if you cross a boundary, it's just like you're done. Doesn't matter who or what you are. So I think that this this arc actually does a lot to build kind of the social structure between these different realms. Yeah, this is maybe the most mythology-heavy arc. And when I say mythology, I mean it in the sense of fleshing out the internal mythology to this series. Yeah, we, This is the first time we see all of the Endless and see them all together in the prologue. Which is probably part of the reason that people get really hyped on this one. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, also, because this is the first appearance of Delirium, I think. Mm-hmm. Destiny was just kind of hinted at. I think that there were a few things about him walking in his garden and being hesitant to turn pages and blah, 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 that sort of thing. Yeah. We saw Desire a lot because she came into play in the doll's house arc because we find out that desire was actually the the parent of or or the entity that made what's her name pregnant unity kincaid i think the one that eventually led to rose and her being the vortex and all that stuff that happened and we saw despair a little bit but not I think that we we it was one of those kind of again panels and, and despair sits in her kingdom and looks at a gray mirror you know one of those types of panels. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it, um <laughs> this really fleshes uh, all those out. Speaking of that, the one thing that I do really really like about the epilogue there where they are introducing all of the endless there's that two pages where each of the endless gets a big giant panel that describes who they are and what they are and what their deal is and it goes through all of them and it has this long paragraph on each of them and then at the very end it just says and there is death and that's it and that's all they say when everyone else gets paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs about them it's just death is stated as this finality and sim with it's stated with finality and simplicity and that actually is i found it 
really effective in that of all of these, that's the one that it speaks for itself. Yeah, and that didn't really catch my attention until you just mentioned it, uh, the the difference of that. Because, I mean, obviously, like, Morpheus doesn't have a half-page thing in here like all the other ones do. Um, so I just, yeah, just kind of sure read through didn't think of it. Does he? Where is he? He's right before death. Oh, yeah, sorry. Overlooked yeah. him. That makes it even more interesting. So, like, death we have had more exposure to than the other ones. I think, like, getting to know her a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But... Um, like one of the things that's so striking about death is she just, she does what her role is. She has complete confidence in what she does. And I think she's, she's less torn than everybody else. You know, Morpheus, obviously like this whole series is about him being torn in a million different emo ish ways, but everybody else, like they're, they're either so pulled by just like what their character is supposed to be that that's kind of what drives them but death is just like death is this is the role and it's almost like what she does gives her perspective on everything to where she's not caught up in a bunch of bs like everybody else is yeah the way i was gonna put it and i think it's a similar way of saying what you're saying is that she doesn't define who she is by what she does she's managed to break free of that to some degree and become who she is independent of what she does. And I think that a lot of the other endless haven't been able to do that to the same degree. And I think that a lot of what I see in this arc is Sandman dealing with his duties, even when he doesn't want to, he's very much bound up in his own sense of rules and duties and where he follows his own rules and duties and it informs who he is to a big degree, even when he would probably rather not have to do that. So, you know, you talked about fleshing out a lot of the the characters. I really like the epilogue, the epilogue actually, or not the epilogue, the prologue, the prologue where all the endless get together. That actually is one of my more favorite issues because it's just pure dynamics and character dynamics. There's not really much plot. The only real plot to it is they all get together. Desire is a jackass and makes Dream realize that he's also a jackass and should go free Nadia from hell. (laughs) And other than that, it's just pure family dynamics. And these dynamics between these mythological i don't even mythological isn't really even the right the right word like i don't know anthropomorphizations of realities of being <laughs> i guess is what they are that's nice simple to, to, I, I can't talk today man this is gonna be a rough podcast okay <laughs> all right <laughs> i tap out on my joke uh, yes <laughs> no problem swing and a miss <laughs> and i do really like that part of it that part i think is really great and this series it has a ton of really great moments when i look back at it i can think of all these just fantastic moments but for some reason it just never felt like it added up to something really memorable to me that i really i guess i guess i never felt like i had a a takeaway from it like i do with a lot of the other story arcs 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could argue with that. Um, like, like I said, this is the first time that it's really been put to me in a way that made me think of it. I don't really remember any other arc. So as we go on, everything is going to be kind of new, just as this one was for me. Out of the first three arcs that weren't, you know, just a collection of short stories, we have the, the introduction story, we have Doll's House, and we have this one. And I would definitely say I like the first two arcs better. The, you know, the first arc, I've heard a lot of people just not like it. A lot of people haven't gotten into Sandman because they couldn't really get past that. I really like the first arc. Um, I think it's a good story, and it's uh, there's a lot of excitement because everything is unknown, so you're just like learning everything for the first time. And then Doll's House is such a, a good, creepy horror story. And this one definitely felt more long-winded. I, like, I, I think I kind of read through about half of this, and then I let it sit for a while, and when I got back to it, once I pushed through a little bit, then it was easy to finish because I was close enough to the end and, you know, we're starting to get some real movement in the story. But yeah, this one, like, it's accomplishing some stuff, but not exactly exciting things necessarily. So what do you think it's accomplishing when you say that? I think we'd be better served to get to that as we go through recapping the story. Okay, so do you um, we'll, want to kind of march through it step by yeah, step? Yeah, let, let's just okay. kind of jump into it. So uh, I'll let you lead the way. Sure. So we talked about the prologue a little bit. Do you have anything more to say about the prologue? Not much. It's it's interesting because it's the first time you see the whole family minus the one that is, you know, astray. You see more dynamic between all of them. I think, you know, seeing Delirium is interesting because uh, she's an interesting character you're familiar enough with the other ones already that, you know, I mean, like, uh, Despair. Despair is a pretty flat character. Despair is very motivated by one thing. So even just the little snippet we had of Despair before is just, like, proven out more. But there's not really more given to us about Despair's character. You, Yeah, so it's, like, it's really cool seeing this. This is probably one of the best parts of the arc is seeing the whole family together. It's interesting that uh, they're all brought together because something big is going to happen, but the whole something big is going to happen is triggered by them being together, which is... It's a weird causality loop. Yeah, and I find that re- to be really interesting because... Um, uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? The dude with the book. I'm gonna, Destiny. Destiny, thank you. Destiny uh, is looking at his book and she's like, oh, this is going to happen. So he's like, well, I guess I got to do this because it says I'm going to in my book. It, yeah, I, I like that kind of quirkiness to that. It's like, Especially when they get to the end, they're like, okay, well, what's going to happen? It's like, it did. All right, see ya. Get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I I appreciate the prologue quite a bit. I think that's probably my favorite part of this story arc. Though, I think that what's cool about Sandman is that there's, even with something like that, which is this weird causality time loop, there is another layer you can add to it, which is that because Destiny did this, it was destined that this would happen because destiny is just fulfilling his function of making destiny happen. So it was inevitable because it was destiny that this had to happen at this time. Yeah. It gives a way to, to engage with something that has been theoretical or abstract. It's like, okay, this is how it actually looks if it was a real thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that's one of the things I like the best about the you know the endless and Sandman, like all of the things are like this is this abstract concept, but now you're seeing, a, you know how is it acted out if it was actually done and not just you know this abstract. So I those are some of my favorite parts of you know anything we go through with this. 
So you were saying that this story kind of felt like it dragged a little bit. Maybe dragging is too harsh of a word, but it was definitely took some effort to push through. And I think what is really points that out a lot is that I was going to say, okay, in the next issue, Morpheus goes to hell and we find out that Lucifer is closing up shop. But that's actually not true. The next issue is Morpheus sending Cain to hell as an emissary Mm -hmm. to say, hey, I'm going to come here. And it's all kind of set up for the setup in a way. It's And so there's a whole issue spent on the preparation of uh, Sandman going to hell to free Nadia and all the things he does, which which is interesting because it makes it feel very high stakes. He goes and he talks to Hob which is his immortal friend, which is actually, that's a pretty nice little bit there. And he goes and talks to Daniel, which is the baby Hippolytus baby. They from the um, game, not the game of you, the doll's house arc. And yeah. And then we see Kane in hell and kind of being, freaked out by lucifer which is kind of a good touch it 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 uses the mythology that cain and lucifer are from as part of the story in an interesting way but it is this whole issue is just kind of set up for the setup and kind of setting the stakes it sets the tone for a lot of stuff it builds up the stakes that are coming it gives a reflection back on everything which you touched on all the, the the points of reflection which i think are great and then I love how you get towards the end of the issue and he's, you know, donning all his vestments to take off. And that kind of brings back to the beginning where when he was captured, he was, you know, wearing all these different trappings. Mm-hmm. And one of the last panels there, like the the last page is all just one big panel. But the, one, the panel right before that, after he puts his helm on and he has his arms flared out, says goodbye, Lucien. I just, I don't know, there's something I really like about that image. It's a cool image. Yeah. Yeah. It's him and his He's just, it's like not only is he all dressed up, but he's just like so dramatic, his arms so flared theatric out. Like that. About yeah, it. exactly. And and it kinda you know that's the thing with Morpheus is a lot of the things that he do he, he do. The things he do is for show. The things he does are for show. And they're you know, like all the rules he has to follow and the proper things to do and the duty and stuff like that. But then you see an image like that and it's like you can see where it suits him. He likes that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like this whole issue is brooding. Well, I have to do this. I have to, you know, I have to t- tell them I'm coming. You know, and then he's like, all right, let's go. All dressed up. He kind of likes the melodramatics is what it seems like in yeah. a way where he laments it. But like one of those people that always has drama and chaos in their life. And all they can talk about is the drama and chaos in their life that Mm -hmm. they create for themselves that wouldn't exist if they just decided to chill and take it easy. Exactly, yeah. So then we get him stepping out to hell. And this is what's interesting is he gets there and he's ready to battle. He's like, Lucifer! And Lucifer's like, yeah, sup, bro? Yeah. It's it's a weird kind of, in a way, it pulls out of the wind out of the sails of the buildup from the previous issue for me yeah it helps that i know it's coming as i reread this 
but it is a very strange, it's an issue of buildup and talking about how serious this is and how perilous it is. And then he gets there and it's not perilous at all. Yeah. It's definitely a big juke here. You expect one thing and it's been so long since I've read this. I didn't remember that. So I, you know, I didn't see it coming. And um, yeah, it's funny. You expect him to go there and you're like, okay, what's going to happen? I know how long this arc is. It's going to be going for a while. They're going to have this big battle. I don't remember a big battle. And then the whole issue, once he gets there, is him going around hell as as Lucifer is just tying up loose ends. You get some more context of what hell is, of what the demons in hell are like. They're mo- like the, de- the demons' motivation for being there. You see lucifer get talked back to at some point he just cancels demon basically kind of like morpheus did with um you know disobeying dreams in the past i like the interaction with um the man that's there to you know to be punished for his sins and he keeps on you know going like but i am this i i did these things and i need to be punished and he goes on and on and on it just you know lucifer's reaction like these people they 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 need this they want this and like it really shows that the the general understood concept of cell of hell is like you know the devil wanting to do these things but it's showing it from if it's just a duty i mean he's tired of the duty so yeah this issue i mean you can see why i was saying this kind of it's not that any of these issues are bad or uninteresting or not good to read but in the context of I'm trying to read this thing, trying to get through it so we can talk about it, these issues aren't engaging me in where I'm like, oh man, I can't put this down. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. okay, this this one is not, like, it's issue after issue of not being dragged in until you're most of the way through it. Yeah. Uh, the story arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's basically the, the gist of that whole issue is a conversation between Lucifer and Morpheus. And then the next thing you know, Morpheus is the key to hell. I think there's two interesting things going on here, though, that I'm noticing now. The first is Lucifer decides to walk away from his duties. And this is one of those things where it's, it's by contrast, showing how attached to duties Morpheus is. Because he's unable to do that. So it shows us another character that is able to do that. So we we know it's possible, and we know it's possible without really any consequence, really. it's The, the world will go on. The afterlife will go on. And all the things that he was responsible for will go on. If he doesn't do them, it's just a matter of deciding, no, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. So it, it is. it's interesting in that it shows us that what Dream has the most trouble with is something that is very possible for people in his position. I'll disagree with that some, though. Uh, one, I think there are some consequences to Lucifer doing this um, that we get glimpses of, but they're just not as devastatingly impactful as other ones we've seen. But when Morpheus was captured, there being no dream had a lot of consequences that were shown. Um, so I think the different positions, you know, what they, they do have different impacts on stuff. And like with Lucifer, we're seeing it's possible to just say, I'm not doing this. Um, and he even has to make sacrifices. The part where he's getting his wings cut off, he has Morpheus to help him. He's literally like having limbs cut off from his body to walk away from this. So that's 
and obviously these these beings are not human so their perception of stuff is different but like when you think of that as a human like would you you know cut your arms off just not have to go to work anymore well <laughs> maybe <laughs> but no, so it, it's not a you know there's not zero sacrifice to get there so that's one of the things that i noticed about it but morpheus at you know at the beginning of sandman went through seeing the impact of him being stopped from doing his duties had. I don't know if somebody else could do his duties, if he could walk away like Lucifer's doing and be like, here, this is on you now, or if he's the only one capable of it. But I think it's um, not everybody has the, the privilege of being able to do that. Interesting points that I hadn't really thought about that. So yeah, I appreciate those. The other thing I was going to say that I noticed about this issue is that in the end, receiving the key may have been worse than having to face Lucifer in battle. Yeah, it's another duty. <laughs> what? I got to do this now, too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, here's a much more complicated problem for you. Before it was simple. Uh, all I have to do is battle my way to hell far enough to free Nadia. Now it's, my goodness, what do I do with the key to hell? He just wants a good fight. He just wants to be able to go put on a show, have a good fight, have stories to tell later, and he gets a key to hell instead. Yeah. So the next issue is all the the gathering storm, so to speak. It's all the people that want the key to hell making their way to Dream, the, the land of Dream, and to his castle to petition him to get the key. And this is, again, one where it just feels kind of establishing mythology and very plotty to me and i think it's issues like this that make me feel like ah this this is one this story just has a lot of plot to it yeah like i think these are kind of fun getting to see all these different characters um but it also doesn't do a lot more than showing you all the characters because like you get shown the characters you get to know them a little bit um and then you just see them all go through the same course of interactions with Morpheus. And then you get to the end where they either get what they want or they don't. Mm -hmm. And yeah, these, these types of stories, like they're fun for a bit, but they can also get tedious. And I think this falls somewhere in between that. I think that this is one of the parts where the reread quality of it isn't as great. Looking back at this, the, the first couple issues, I feel like, were really good in terms of reread rereadability and there being stuff to get out of it like even just the the issue where morpheus goes to hell and is just hanging out with lucifer as he closes up shop there's stuff that you picked up on there that i didn't really pick up on and i feel like there is important things going on there to really pick up on and i'm sure that I'm not to say there's you know no meat on these bones of this issue, but it does feel like it's more just establishing plot and character so that we're ready for what happens next. And so for me, it doesn't, it's not as enjoyable on reread. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot else to say about that issue either. Yeah. All right. So the next one, this is a big aside. This is the. This is probably the funnest issue to read in this arc. This is the, we need to let the artist catch up for a month. And so we're going to have a side story fill in 
is kind of what it and this is also the issue where you see the impact of hell being closed yeah yeah that that's correct yeah so this boy is stuck at his boarding school because he can't go join his father because his father is i forget where but he's he's somewhere where there is war going on so it's not it was i think iraq yeah i remember right i was gonna say it's iraq or iran or somewhere like that definitely um like took me back to the uh you know events of the 90s um, mm-hmm. so he, he stuck at school with his like headmaster and headmistress or whatever, and things get weirder and weirder as there are all these ghost boys around and stuff. And then he starts getting bullied and ghosts are screwing with the headmaster. Like his head, the headmaster's mom is back there and it's, is uh, definitely a weird story. So I almost skipped this one on my reread because this is one where I feel like it's just a long litany of unpleasant things happening to a character. And I've read it enough times where I know what's happened and I don't really enjoy this one. It's, I feel like it's not a pleasant experience and it's definitely not a pleasant experience to relive multiple times. So I was tempted to just skip this one or just skim through it just to remind myself what happened to prepare for this reread. I think that I'm glad that I didn't because I think that this story captures one of the big themes in this story, which is that hell is something that we create for ourselves. And we can let go of that hell we create for ourselves if we want to. And I think that that's signified by the very end of it where they finally walk away from the attic where they both died and decide, hey, you know, let's just let go of that and let go of that guilt or whatever we have, whatever feeling we have or attachment to that and just decide to go enjoy our afterlife together. And looking at it again, I do think it's really neat. All the pages have black borders. It's all black background, if if you notice that. Mm-hmm. Until the very end, as they decide to walk away, the black starts to recede into blue And when they're finally outside, it's the only page of the story that has a white background. Yeah, and it's amazing how much of an effect that has uh, on a story. Adding those details, the color borders, like it, you know, a lot of times just kind of like an artistic choice, but like in this story, it really sets the feeling and the 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 tone of the story. It's like you said that most of the story was not very pleasant. It's just like this. It starts out with this kid just being in an unfortunately unpleasant circumstance where he's stuck at school and it's weird and like he would rather be with his dad. But then things like get weirder. But then it's like when he starts getting you know bullied by some of the dead ghosts or basically just torturing him. It's like okay, this starts to get. It's getting to the point of it's just unpleasant. Like, you don't want to see this kid go through this. And as you keep going, like, it's not getting better. He doesn't have an out. It just is getting worse. And then it gets to the point where he's bullied to death. And it's like, that's yeah. that's pretty bad. And then he has the, you know, the, the page or so talking to death. And, 
Like that that's an interesting page. I love that she's just like, alright, fine. If you're not ready to go, I got stuff to do. I'll see you later. <laughs> she runs off. But you see him like, you know, kind of realizing he could take control and like him showing the other dead boy that he also doesn't have to stay there just because his bones are there. And then they just take off. If it wasn't for how it ended, I would say, just like you just said, that this wouldn't be something I would want to revisit. Um, you definitely, like, this This is a good example to me that you need, you need some kind of light at the end of a dark tunnel to be able to read a dark story like this, or at least myself, to be able to read it and, and want to. And, like, some of the, like, uh, the, the Doll's House arc, like, that was a dark story. But at the end, things happen that that make up for it. You know, it's not this gratuitous awfulness that in the end, the awful people that do awful things just keep on doing them. Yeah, I, I agree. I like the end of it. Like the last couple pages are nice. It's just, it's so excruciating getting there. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. It's kind of how the dolls dolls house arc is, except it's, um, you know, there's just more goings on, but like that's an arc where there's a lot of pretty rough stuff to read through. Yeah, I find that one more compelling, though, for some reason. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a more compelling story. I mean, this is a a shorter, simpler, more concise story, less to it than the Doll's House Mm -hmm. story. I mean, the Doll's House has a lot of things going on at the same time. Okay, so with the next issue, we get back to the main story again, so to speak. We're back in dreams castle he's entertaining all of his guests from all these regions that want the key and after the dinner party where all the different guests have delightful and fun interactions with each other uh, he they one by one talk to dream and present their case for why they should be given the key to hell this is another one where it feels just very yeah, it has these neat character interactions, but again, it's kind of like all all plot to me until the very end where Dream is sitting there thinking about it and he just drops the key on the ground and he says, if only it were that easy, if I could just throw it away. And the thing is, he could, right? He could do that if he were just to let go of his duty to do that or he could kind of figuratively do that just decide you know, whatever this i'm i'm not going to handle this responsibility i'm going to let somebody else deal with this responsibility it's it's his own sense of duty and responsibility that makes him feel like he has to uh take on this burden and all, so that that page also i just got there and i'm looking at it he throws the key down steps is the key just magically back at his feet because it doesn't show him walk back up to it, but it shows he chucks it down steps, and then it's just, like, right at his feet again. So is is he bound to this in some way? I assumed that it landed, and he just walked over to it and picked it up again or something like that. I think it... I took it as a symbol of he can think about letting it go, but even after thinking about letting it go, he has to go pick it up because he's not willing to actually let it go. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how, how I took that. I think either way, even if it's, yeah, but that that's, that's how I took it is that he's willing to toss it aside, but then he's like, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. I have to go pick it up because that's my duty. 
Yeah, and I think the the difference there, which it just like it isn't clearly laid out here one way or the other, is are you able to walk away from a duty, or are you you know do you continue to do it because you choose to, or do you continue to do it because there's something else forcing you to? And Lucifer gave him the key. He's now trying to decide who else to give it to. So is he bound to do that? But then he knows the ramifications, and that's why he can't just flippantly give away. Lucifer didn't care. But he also knew that Morpheus is bound to duty and would, you know, do a dutiful thing with it. So, Yeah, I don't have too much else to say about that issue. Yeah, me neither. That's A lot of these issues, it's like, it's interesting seeing all the characters and the interactions. But just like you said, like, reading it again, even just flipping through it again, it's it's just not all that interesting to read again. So... Let me ask you this. Are there any of these uh, beings that came for the key that you found interesting or fun to read? Um, there's... Like, did any in particular stand out to you? The They're, they're all kind of just, like, vaguely interesting at best. Um, the little girl with the balloon is one of the more interesting ones, but I think that that's just because that's fun. It Kind of like Delirium is interesting, because you're just getting this really off-the-wall thing. Um, yeah, the, that's the one I was going to point to. Was what's her name? It's like Shivering Jenny or something. Yeah, like she's more interesting. Um, I like some of the con- some of the concepts are kind of interesting. Like the uh, the the one that represents itself as a cardboard box. <laughs> it's like that's just kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And some stuff like uh, you know Thor and Odin and like their whole party. Like I, they're not that interesting because I've I've been more exposed to all those characters through you know Marvel's representation of them, and I think that you know there's a lot more like these are a lot more shallowly represented. So it's just not as it's more interesting seeing some of the mythology, like you know Loki being tied up by a snake and having the acid dripped on him or whatever. But yeah, I mean for the most part, it's like these were more interesting going through the first time. And going through the second time, you just, there's, it's like the, it's gone. Like the things that were interesting weren't deep enough to warrant a second look, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So the next issue is the big announcement of what's going to happen. And he gathers everyone there. But while he's still thinking about it, the two angels from the Silver City come down and say, basically this piece of psychological real estate needs to stay within the family, so to speak. And it needs to be kept by the Christian mythology that created it. Yeah. And you see another battle with duty where the one of the angels, when he realizes what the message is, is conflicted uh, heavily. So because basically he's being banished from where he wants to be and sent to where he doesn't want to be permanently. And then he can never return home. And Mm -hmm. he, in the end decides that that's his duty. So he's going to do it. And I wonder, uh, you know, Morpheus still was undecided about what to do with the key. And he's like, Oh, look at this jerk. You know, he's as duty bound as I am. He'll do a good job with this. Yeah. (laughs) He's another sucker that will (laughs) not. Well, I, I think what's, what's interesting is he's, he has dream has no interest in this. Like he has no interest in it for himself. Like all these other characters that are coming for it, they have a big vested interest in 
getting the key to hell. But Dream doesn't want it. Like, what is he going to do with that place? And these angels don't want it in the sense that the others do. They're just doing their duty to come and convey the message. So they actually are the best choice in that way, mm-hmm. and is, is what it seems like to me. Yeah, so they, they get the key. They announce that. Everybody else throws a fit for the most part. He has his little battle with, um, what's the demon's name that's like all the teeth? Azazel? Yeah, okay. He has the battle with Azazel, and he goes in, come in me, I'm going to end you. And he goes and he finds Nada, and he finds uh, the other one is a uh, Trunzen, and frees both of them, which like in, with Trunzen, that that's the one who he battled to get his helm back. So yeah. it really shows he's not spiteful. That was an occurrence that happened and is done. And he has no ill will against Trunzen at that point. He frees both of them. And then Azazel thinks that he won the fight just to discover that he's captured in a jar because he's in dream, not in hell. This reminds me a lot of the battle with uh, Dr. Destiny mm-hmm. from the very first arc where Destiny thinks that he's crushing and destroying dream by crushing the ruby and then he finds out that he's released dream so much that he's actually insignificant compared to dream yeah yeah very much the no in my realm what i want to happen is what happens and it doesn't even if you think you're winning you're actually not yeah it it, i think it it's you know re-illustrates that point of you know these different beings have power but their power also depends on where they're at and the ones with the most understanding of their position are the ones that really have the most power. And I also like that uh, when he's putting Azazel in the box, you see the other different things that are in there. And one of them is the Corinthians skull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good call back to that. Stop testing dream, uh, dreams power when you're in the wrong. <laughs> There's also the city of Baghdad in a, a bottle, which is from the issue 50. What's that story? It's the one where the what the the guy who was the king of the city, like of ancient Baghdad, called out to dream and wanted his magnificent city to last forever, and it ended up with it being a city in a bottle contained within a dream, something like that. Okay, I didn't recall that right off. We'll but get I... to it in a year when we <laughs> when we get to that issue. Okay, so we have not read that yet, then. We have not read it. Yeah, it comes after Brief Lives. It's a standalone issue between Brief Lives and World's End. Okay, so I feel less bad that I don't know it. (laughs) Okay. All right, so then he says his goodbyes to everybody, essentially. And then we get on to the end, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's... And we see the the two angels in hell and the demons are coming back. And this is really, uh, well, it's a couple things, but it's, it's finally Dream talking to Nada again and him realizing that he was wrong and essentially apologizing for that. Yeah. And then we also find out that Loki is actually free. And Dream is like, okay, that's cool. You can be free, but you owe me, you owe me a, uh, a a favor down the line. And then we see the fact that Nada is a gift from Fairy 
to to dream and that she's gonna stay there. Not Nada. And what? Not Nada. That's not Nada. Not Nada. What's her name? Nalia. I'm yeah. sorry. Nalia. I got my and named ladies mixed up. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to me about that little scene is when she's uh, looking daggers at her brother, like the little dot, dot, dot line. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> I've noticed that more in comics. That that struck me like uh, David Aha's art in Hawkeye, which was, uh, you know... Um, I think like he was the one who really made that like that style of art kind of take ground. Mm-hmm. And I like, I mean, it's been so long since I've read this. I didn't remember from here. I was like, Oh man, that's cool. Like seeing those little elements that like I've seen taken further elsewhere. But, yeah. So you get all these like little odds and ends coming together. This is kind of just the wrapping everything up. I do think it's really, really cool that the end of it is that, Nada just gets reborn and gets a chance to live a full life again. That is a very touching ending, I think. Yeah, that's the best ending for Nada, where she's been, you know, trapped in hell for centuries. So now, and he says, you're not going to remember all this, too. So it's like she, it's not like she is being reborn, but still having had all the suffering. Essentially, like all the suffering is going to be gone because she did, she won't know that it was there. So mm-hmm. she gets another chance. You get this weird, you know, fairy gift. You get you see the the angels in hell and the one angel starts to accept what his role is and you know, if I'm going to be the leader of hell, I'm going to be the best leader of hell and I love you tortured soul. You're going to get better for this. And <laughs> no, that makes it worse. Yeah, and that's actually really interesting. Right? And meanwhile, the uh, the other angel that's supposed to be there with him, the silent one, just left like a image of himself i guess basically he's just chilling on a beach no the 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 that's lucifer on the beach oh that's lucifer okay yeah so that's lucifer has gone down to the beach and he's just hanging out there and he's just living his best life now that makes sense okay i got kind of lost in it then sure yeah well they do look exactly the same so (laughs) all scratchily drawn angels look the same to me (laughs) yeah I do like at the end, he's looking at the sunlight and he's like, yeah, all right. (laughs) You did a good job there. (laughs) 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 That, that, that's a, a really neat end to this. I, I just, I feel like this one wraps up really well. All of these endings are just so on point and that's really cool. It's just how, on because we get like four endings it's like lord of the rings endings here where it's and you get an ending and you get an ending and you get an ending but they're all really good endings and so lucifer goes on to have his own series right before that though he will come back in the uh second to last arc yeah this whole arc feels like they're more like they say okay how do we get from this point to that point you know and so I wonder things like, did they want to change Lucifer's dynamic to create that opportunity, even if it, you know, is a ways down the road when the comics started coming out? So they changed the dynamic in hell. They free up Lucifer from being bound there. Because before that, they had established that there was this triumvirate in hell. And then now suddenly, like, the triumvirate is gone. And it's just Lucifer giving it up. Yeah, the way I took that was in light of this arc that Lucifer is just kind of starting to care less where at any time he could have said, no, yeah, I'm the ruler of hell. Screw you. 
that's not how this works. I'm the ultimate power here. Just kind of how similar to Dream is the ultimate power in Dream. Yeah. This was him just kind of like saying, yeah, whatever. I don't care. You want to try over it? That's cool. Let's do that. The, in in retrospect, that's what how that seems to me. Yeah, I took it that way too. Um, yeah, so I mean, this feels like it, the, this whole arc was just a lot of transitions. Transitioning Lucifer to where he's not bound to hell. Transitioning hell to where it's, you know, out of that triumvirate uh, and being ran by angels again. Tying off the Nada storyline so that way that doesn't continue to be a factor. Uh, yeah, just like a lot of things like, okay, here's all these loose ends or things that we want to adjust. And you have the story arc that gets us from point A to point B. And... Like, looking back at it that way, it can feel more like they were just like, okay, we want to accomplish this, now how do we do it? Rather than, like, we're telling a story and, oh, look where the story took us, you know, if that makes hmm. sense. Partially. Are you, are you talking about, like, the various threads that it unwraps, like, in terms of Lucifer not being in hell anymore and Loki being free, like, that sort of thing? Yeah, it just feels like they wanted to. They, there are a bunch of things they wanted to change about where the pieces were, and they just said, "Okay, let's make a story that does this." So one thing I wonder about this is: is it that, or was it just I'm going to write this story where all this stuff happens, and I'm going to create these loose ends that maybe I'll wrap up later? That's, I guess, one thing I don't know enough about this, and I would actually be really curious to hear this from Neil Gaiman himself is how much did he have a plan for the entire series when he was starting it? This also could be, I, I think you just triggered something in my mind where, you know, the first couple of arcs were defined stories that he probably really knew what he wanted to do. Then you have all these short stories and stuff that he's just, you know, playing around with stories. Was this the point where he, realized how long he was going to be able to do this, how much scope he wanted. And he kind of went that, okay, let's fray all these ends. So now there's a lot to play with. Yeah, this actually, that is a really good point. This is, this is, I guess the, the first bit of story arc feels like it wraps up into a very nice, concise package. You could almost just take the first volume of Sandman and end it there. And it would be a, decent ending to that story um you know of him going being released having to go get all this stuff again and learn a little bit in the process you know that would make a decent story and then the same thing with a doll's house it does kind of wrap up really well with the whole culmination of the dream vortex thing and that kind of it all converges to that final plot and everything kind of wraps up with a nice little bow. The only real loose end from that is the the baby, Daniel, that was born in dreams. Mm -hmm. This one, it really does end with this explosion of loose ends in different directions. Yeah. And changes to status quo. So that is a good point. This, this feels like it's the first story arc where it says, okay, I'm going to be doing this a while. I have some time. Let me create these various threads that, you know, a lot of these he doesn't really get back to. We don't see Lucifer again until like issue in the sixties, I think, like late fifties or sixties. Um, Nalia becomes incredibly important towards the end of the series in one like crucial moment, and 
I'm trying to think what else. I think Loki plays a, a huge role. The fact that he's free is a very big, important item in the second to last arc of this series. So there's a whole lot here that's kind of just left to... It's not as nice, tight, tidy of a package. It wraps up things, I think, emotionally, but in terms of plot-wise, it leaves it very frayed and wide open, like you said. Yeah. It introduces a lot of new characters, a lot of new dynamics. It really creates a lot of new potential for stuff that, um, you know, obviously, like you just said, a lot of it wasn't touched on until much later, but... You know, when you have a big story, having those loose threads that start to tie back up and kind of create the the big tapestry of the story tends to be what makes a really long running story really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it it seems like that that arc was um, it was uh oh gosh I lost the word I had a good word for it I completely lost it like I said this is not a good day for language for me um, sure <laughs> but it, it 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 served a purpose you know it did it accomplish it really something. develops things a lot yeah and yeah a lot of times like those types of stories like they do create better stories later even if they're not the best stories themselves um, mm-hmm. I could see where and you know once again everything is starting with this point pretty much going onward everything it's been so long since I've read it it's pretty much new to me again I don't remember anything so it's going to be interesting to see what develops from this with that perspective and, you know, see how this arc compares in, you know, your statement earlier about how this was an arc that seemed to be, you know, really highly lauded by fans. The, the close up view doesn't look quite as much that way to me, but um, I can also see where, you know, if, if I were reading this for the first time and we went from this, you know, tight, tighter confined world, to now suddenly like things have been busted open quite a bit. I could see where there would be people being like, this is a kind of seminal point of the series, but I also have to see how it plays out to see if I think that that's true as it keeps going. Yeah. I think it's probably a story that is much better upon first read than it is upon a reread. Yeah. Or at least wait like, you know, good 10 or 15 years. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For me, I remember so much of this series backwards and forwards because i've read it so many times that it's you know it's like trying to watch star wars again and realize how groundbreaking it was like i just can't really do it (laughs) because i've seen it so many times it's always been with me it's hard to see it as that anymore yeah and it you can't experience that first experience again yeah mm mm-hmm I was talking with a couple of my employees yesterday about that, just about reading books and stuff like that. And you know, I was saying that I, I've always been the type that I don't reread books because there's always more books to read. Why would I want to reread something when there's something I could read that's never been read by me? And um, I, mean, I was telling them, it's like now there's actually books that's been long enough since I read them that rereading them, that it has that kind of new feel again. Because there may be, I may remember that I really like it um i may remember some details but i don't it's been long enough that i don't really remember it that's how sandman is for me it's been so long like i've just had it in my head for over a decade now that sandman is one of my favorite comic series if not my favorite and i've just held it up there with having only read it once Mm -hmm. and i've just held on to that and it's it's funny to test that after so long and like as I'm reading it, I would definitely still say that the, the things that matter to me are here in this. 
but yeah, it's it's a you know very different experience. You know, like you say, Sandman is one of your very favorites, and you've read it over and over, so you've already tested it. You know that's true. For me, there's a chance that I read this and go, no, actually, it's not as good as I remember. I but feel I also pretty confident a, that that won't happen. Yeah, I don't think it will either because I I know enough. Um, that the, with that risk also comes the the fact that my experience with this is um like i'm i don't know what's happening i don't know what's coming up so i am getting those you know the reveal again of all these things that you know i I said a moment ago that you can never get that again it's very hard to get that again you have to not stay you know you have to not revisit the thing for a long long time until it actually does work its way out of your mind um it's just very interesting to me to kind of be in that place and there's not many things that i've been able to do that with that's cool for for me what i appreciate so much about sandman is that when i revisit it i can get more out of it it's not like going back and reading rereading something like thor or fantastic four where it's mostly just plot and interactions and some cool stuff happening but there's not a like a lot of depth and meaning but i feel like i get something new and different when i read these stories and that's what i really like about it is that there's such good stories that are built upon so much and it goes back to what we were talking about in the last arc or i guess what the story was talking about is that it just because it didn't happen doesn't mean it's not true and that's what i feel like with sandman is that it's it feels like a really there's a lot of truth to the storytelling and that's what gives it a lot of depth where I can keep going back to it and getting new stuff out of it each time. And that's what I'm really appreciating. Yeah. So, yeah, and then yeah. on top of just the artistry of it, you know, Neil Gaiman is a very good writer, so just reading his writing isn't boring even if you know what's happening. And then mm-hmm. same thing with the art. Um, you know, the the art is interesting. Uh I was talking with somebody briefly on Twitter about manga and like they, their aversion to like the kind of the, the stereotypes of manga art, you know, like the big eyes and you know, the certain features like that. And, and talking with them with it and finding them kind of balking at some of the stuff that I didn't think really was that, but it was more that than not. Um, the stuff that he likes in manga is the stuff that is really outliers and talking with him. Like I realized that's how I've, generally feel too like in in american comic art like i really like the outliers and i tend to get bored with the stuff that's not outliers you know it's like i was really drawn to mike mignola and um you know i mean the the art in sandman um is a good example so like i'm always really drawn to that outlier art and i think that's because you can keep looking at the same thing and it's still interesting and the stuff that's just good comic art can be really good but like still after a while of looking at it, it, it loses its value over time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think those, those are a couple of factors with Sandman that keep it being um, compelling on multiple levels. It makes it really easy to keep visiting it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up this episode. huh? I think we've been going long enough. Yeah. Almost like an hour and seven minutes and 47 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode i've been really enjoying our sandman episode so go back and check out our older ones if you haven't yet because i think they're well they're basically like this again so if you like this there's there's more from the previous sandman arcs 
And I think next we're going to talk about distant mirrors, I think is what we decided, where we're kind of going to go in order and split the fables and reflections trade paperback in half and do the first half of it, which is the batch of short stories that were published between Season of Mists and A Game of You. So it's not going to be as many issues to talk about, just a few short stories, but we've made an episode of that before, so I bet we can do it again. It's a challenge. All right. So thanks for tuning in. I have been Sean, and my friend Paul has been Paul. I have. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) See you next time.